0: Hello, everybody. Daniel Barnett here from Outer Temple Chambers, and I'm recording episode 44 of Employment Law Matters in the evening of Wednesday, the 8th of April 2020. And in this episode, I want to consider three outstanding issues that we're still not sure about on furlough leave. The first one is when the government's online portal is going to be up and running. The second is what's happening with employees who tupee over to a new employer after the 28th of February 2020. And the third one is a little bit more information on annual leave and how that interacts with furlough. Everything I'm saying is changing day by day, so please do keep an eye out for my email updates at danielbarnett.co.uk and for anything else that you see on Twitter, where you can get a huge amount of information. On the Coronavirus Job Retention Scheme. Welcome to Employment Law Matters with Barrister Daniel Barnett. First of all, an update on what's happening with the online portal that HMRC is building from scratch in order to allow employers to reclaim the 80% of salary under the furlough scheme. Now, this morning, some senior representatives from HMRC appeared before the Parliamentary Select Committee to answer questions around the coronavirus job retention scheme. I didn't watch it, but Daniel Kriegers from Chadwick Lawrence did, and he's produced an excellent briefing note on what was covered during that two-hour meeting. And with his permission, I'm going to read to you extracts from his summary of that meeting. So this is what the senior representatives from HMRC told the Parliamentary Select Committee today, the 8th of April. First of all, the portal is going to be open for employers to use on the 20th of April. We thought it was going to be the 30th. I said it was going to be later. Apparently, it's now going to be open and ready and working on the 20th of April 2020. And the first payments should be made to employers on the 30th of April 2020. 2020. The aim is that payments will normally be made within four to six working days of submission of the data. The reason for that is to allow HMRC a small chance to check for fraud. Live testing started today with a very small number of employers. The capacity of the online portal has been tested, and HMRC is confident. And this figure comes from the Guardian newspaper that it can cope with a very large volume of claims. And they've tested, apparently, up to 450,000 claims an hour. Although if employers, if a large number of employers phone HMRC for help, its call centres will struggle to provide the service required. A guidance document on how to compile claims will be released within the next week. The aim being to make sure employers can get the claims ready for submission by the 20th of April. For employers who run their payroll weekly, claims can be submitted weekly. Only one claim can be made per pay period that could be weekly or monthly, and it's expected a high proportion of the first claims will include backdating into March. This is important. A business can make a claim up to 14 days ahead. So that means if a monthly pay period goes to the 31st of the month, a claim can be submitted 14 days beforehand. And also HMRC said that there are no plans to extend the scheme to incorporate those who started after 28th of February 2020. Instead, affected employees are being signposted to other benefits, which I think in almost all cases are going to be less lucrative. The other point raised, according to Chadwick Lawrence's notes by HMRC, is the problems and concerns around abuse of the system if furloughed employees are actually required to carry on undertaking work. And I found one of the most common questions I'm being asked is, but can we get away with my employees doing? And can we get away with my employees doing? etc., etc.? HMRC have said there's a hotline in place, although I don't know the details, for employees to report employers who are requiring them to work. Query, how many employees, if they've got employers who are that way-minded, are going to phone a helpline. HMRC also said if there's evidence of a breach of the rules now, claims will simply not be paid out. In reality, that's going to rely on a report from employees that the scheme is being abused. In the future, there's the ability to check claims, and you'll remember that I said in a recent podcast that employers have to keep the written notification to their employees telling them they're on furlough for five years, suggesting that HMRC contemplates that these retrospective investigations are going to last a very, very long time. And HMRC also reported to the Parliamentary Select Committee that, depending on the severity of an employer's conduct, fraudulent claims could quite feasibly result in criminal proceedings being considered. So again, a big thank you to Daniel Kriegers from Chadwick Lawrence for sending me that update on the online portal for reclaiming monies from HMRC. We're just going to have to wait and see if it runs as smoothly as HMRC think it will. The next question... What happens with employees who tupee into a new business after the 28th of February? Because, of course, they haven't been on the payroll of the new business on the 28th of February. They were on the transfer transferor's, the old employer's payroll then. So who claims? Well, not the transfer transferor, because the transfer transferor won't have paid them any salary. They've gone. They've been tupied out. So there's no claim by the old employer. What about the new employer? Well, under the scheme as it stands, the new employer can't claim either, because the employees wouldn't have been on their payroll as of the 28th of February. It's a loophole. It's something the government plainly hadn't considered originally, and it's an odd result. But I think it must be the right result, subject to what I'm about to tell you, a little bit of breaking news. Because if you think about it, TUPI operates to transfer all rights, duties, powers and liabilities under the employment contract, but only as between employee and employer, not third parties. And that's why there are special provisions in TUPE to transfer collective agreements. Before you email me, I am aware of cases like Bernardoni and Pall Mall, which say that there are limited exceptions to that rule, for example, with the benefit of health insurance or permanent health insurance policies, but those are very limited exceptions. Reclaiming 80% of salary from the government, from HMRC, is very much a matter between HMRC and the employer, not between the employer and the employee. And I don't think that TUPE will transfer the date on which the employee was on the new employer's payroll. There's a statutory novation of continuity of employment, but that's a different question to when the employee was on the employer's payroll. And supporting that, the transferee, the new employer, doesn't have the right to obtain the payroll data from the old employer that HMRC would require. For example, for employees without normal working hours or changing pay, the furlough scheme requires an employer to take the higher of their actual pay in the same payroll period in the previous year. So for April, that would be their pay in April 2019, or the average of their pay over the last 12 months. And it's very, very possible that the new employer just won't have that information and has no way of getting hold of it. So on a strict reading of the scheme, although the result is odd, I think that employees who TUPI in after the 28th of February are unlikely to be covered. But... And this is the breaking news. David Johnston, MP, has emailed a number of people saying that he has been told by the Treasury that stupid employees will be able to claim under the furlough scheme. And he has published the information that he directly got from HM Treasury. I'll include a link in the show notes. And what it says is this. It's an email from HM Treasury to David Johnston MP sent on the 6th of April 2020 at 10.55 and I'm going to read it. Dear David, thanks for your inquiry. With regards to TUPE, employers that have undertaken a TUPE transfer or similar transfer after the 28th of February 2020 are Eligible for the coronavirus job retention scheme. Now, that doesn't appear anywhere in the guidance, and it's frankly, probably, I think, inconsistent with the guidance as it stands. But it sounds like we're going to get updated guidance yet again fairly soon, making it clear that employees who tupee over to a new employer after the 28th of February will be able to be furloughed if they were on the old employer's payroll before the 28th of February. And the third topic, can employees take annual leave when they're on furlough? Is it inconsistent with furlough and does it interrupt furlough leave? Might it therefore mean that an employee doesn't actually accrue three weeks consecutive furlough, meaning in turn the employer cannot be reimbursed for that furlough leave? The original version of the coronavirus job retention scheme didn't mention annual leave. The updated version, published on Saturday, didn't mention it either. My view is that employees can take annual leave and indeed can be required to take annual leave when they're on furlough, which does have the effect of depleting their annual leave, but it also means that for the statutory part of their annual leave, they're entitled to a top-up to normal pay By the employer, which won't be met by the government, because HMRC will still only reimburse 80%. And if you want to see my reasons for that, go to www.outertemple.com slash news, and you'll see an article by, by me there, which I published a couple of days ago, explaining in detail my reasons for that very shortly stated conclusion. The ACAS guidance has changed slightly on this point. A few days ago, when the statutory instrument came out allowing employees to carry over holiday for up to two years, or at least carry over the first four weeks of holiday for up to two years, if they couldn't reasonably take it in the existing holiday year because of coronavirus – The ACAS guidance said, we think it will generally be impractical for employees to take annual leave when on furlough. Therefore, and I'm now putting my own spin on this. Therefore, if they're on furlough, it will be impractical for them to take annual leave because the two are inconsistent. Therefore, they can carry the annual leave over for two years. A couple of days ago, the ACAS guidance changed slightly. It no longer says that it's impractical to take annual leave while on furlough. It now says that employees can take annual leave while on furlough. Why has that changed? Well, there's a number of possibilities. Either ACAS changed their view, which is very possible, or they've heard something from the Department for Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, or HMRC, that none of us know yet. And that's also possible because of what I'm about to tell you. And I'd like to thank Kira Lee from Mill Selig for passing this information on to me on Twitter. Someone called Simon Wright asked HMRC on Twitter whether it's been confirmed yet that taking the Easter bank holiday will not break the three-week furlough. Because, of course, if taking annual leave breaks furlough, if the two are inconsistent, then... Everybody is going to be in breach of the furlough leave rules this Friday and next Monday, the Easter bank holiday weekend, because most people who are on furlough will also take those days as holiday. And HMRC customer support replied as follows. Here's a health warning. This is only HMRC customer support. It is not formal guidance, but it may be a precursor of guidance to come. And this is what HMRC customer support put on Twitter. Quote, if an employee is on holiday or has a scheduled bank holiday while on furlough. So ignore the bank holiday words. Let's just cut those out and say, if an employee is on holiday while on furlough, they are entitled to still receive this holiday. Employers must ensure that any employee on holiday or a bank holiday is paid their full salary for that period of holiday. Which is broadly what I've been saying, that you can take annual leave when on furlough and that certainly for the first four weeks, almost certainly for the first 5.6 weeks, but I don't think for any additional enhanced holiday, you have to be paid your normal remuneration or your full salary, depending on the very complex rules on calculating holiday pay. So I think there's a fair chance that in the next few days, we're going to get updated guidance, which will sort out the Chupi position and clarify the annual leave position. And I'll also include a link that tweet from HMRC Customer Support in the show notes so you can have a look at it. And last, but definitely not least, I want to tell you about something that I've just decided to run. I've been working on it all of this week. I'm soft launching it, I suppose, through this podcast, and I'll announce it properly on my emails next week. I, together with most of the employment bar, are coming together to present a series of two daily, twice a day, employment law webinars. It's the lockdown lowdown on employment law. And this has absolutely nothing to do with coronavirus, but it's a way to keep up to date and for you to be able to pick the brains of some of the finest legal minds in the UK over the next few weeks. And from Monday the 20th of April, we're running two webinars a day on a hot topical employment law issue, each of them streamed live, one at 9.30am, one at 3pm. Each will consist Mm -hmm. of about a 10-minute talk by a leading barrister on a different subject, followed by a 30-minute Q&A session when you can ask them any question you want about that topic. Topics and speakers include, and there are 28 of them, but I'm just going to give you a dozen or so. You can get all the information and see all the speakers at employmentwebinars.co.uk. So, topics and speakers include Andrew Short, QC, on objective justification and age discrimination, David Reed, QC, on tricky compensation issues, Andrew Burns, QC on employment status, employee or worker, Tom Croxford QC on director's duties, Sean Jones QC on direct and indirect discrimination, Naomi Ellenbogen QC on equal pay, Gerald McDermott QC and Will Young on PI claims in tribunals, Keith Bryant QC on disability discrimination, Rebecca Tuck QC on fairness in redundancy cases, Clive Sheldon QC on changing terms of conditions. Lots, lots, lots more. The list goes on and on. There are 28 speakers in total. Have a look, employmentwebinars.co.uk. It's an incredibly exciting enterprise. I'm going to be chairing all 28 webinars, which is a little bit intimidating because all the speakers are much, much cleverer than me and know far more about all these different employment law topics than I do. Please do have a look. Please do sign up. We want it to benefit everyone in the HR and employment law community. It's www.employmentwebinars.co.uk. I'm Daniel Barnett from Outer Temple Chambers. Thank you for listening